Let us bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you now as we come to the word of God. May it speak to our hearts, we pray. Help us to open our minds and our hearts to receive what you want us to hear today, Lord. And help us to hear your word. Help us to obey your word. May we be glad that we've been in the precious book, the Bible, to learn from you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. You know, it all started here in Washington. Over there in Spokane, Mrs. Bruce Dodd got it all going in 1910. There was a small boy. A small boy's definition of Father's Day is this. It is just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much on the present. (laughs) And I'll tell you one thing. Before smartphones were invented, the largest number of collect calls were made on Father's Day. (laughs) Now they don't cost much anymore. Did you know that the Father's Day flower is the dandelion? Why did you groan? Because the more it is trampled on, the better it grows. I learned from Dr. Walter Wilson years and years and years ago, he always spoke about nature, that you can't get a dandelion down. It'll always grow taller than any other item in the field. It's amazing. One son wrote in a note to his father on Father's Day this. Dad... Everything I know, I learned from you, except for one thing that I learned on my own. The family car can do 110 miles an hour. (laughs) Amazing. Today we're talking about Jairus, who is a challenge to men on Father's Day. But listen, he's also a challenge to women, so women, please don't tune him out today. All all of us, listen to him, please, and let's learn something from Jairus that will help us in our walk with the Lord. I know it will. Uh, Let's just learn some things about Jairus. First of all, we know that uh, that was his name because, you see, there there are three accounts. There is Matthew, Mark, and Luke that give this story. But you must remember that each one gives it in its own little particular way because these evangelists, as they listened or were witnesses, they wrote the story just like the journalists do. They tell the story a little differently the way they saw it. So that's, and they heard different things also in the sequence of the story. So we won't have time to go into all those details, but you can. The references are there on the top of your sheet. And it's interesting that his name was uh, Jairus, because Matthew, t- uh, Mark tells us that in 5.22. And he was the ruler of the synagogue. So now we know what he does. And we're told that, of course, in Luke 8.41. Now, a synagogue ruler uh, had a very interesting uh, uh, occupation. I don't guess he got paid for it, but he may, maybe did. The ruler was in charge of the synagogue service and was responsible for maintaining and, and cleaning the building. He was the janitor. Other synagogue rulers in the New Testament were Crispus and Sothenes, and this man, Jairus, was, was the elder in charge also of public worship. So he had Raul's position. Um, he had a he had a daughter, and we know that because we, we read in, uh, 
in the text here in Mark and others, and we know that um, she was, uh, and, and we know that only that she was 12 years old. We know that because we're told that over in Luke chapter 8 and verse 42. So we know a little bit about this, about this man. Uh, very interesting, a very interesting man. So as we get into, into uh, Jairus and his challenges to us, uh, I want to just mention, I want to mention some things that he teaches me, and I hope he teaches you. He teaches us something about priority, number one. In Matthew 9, 18, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, don't get upset when you read all these three accounts and you read different things, because one of the, one of the writers says, that Matthew says, she has just died. If you read a Mark, he, he says to Jesus at the time that Mark heard him, says, she is at the point of death. And then you come over to the book of Luke, and as he listens to the story, as it's told, or witnesses, it says she was dying. So there are three different aspects of what was told us in the scripture, but they all tell the story. And so in Matthew, when the ruler talked to Jesus, said, she's just died. That was, that was the, the story that he had to tell Jesus. Now, how did he know to go to Jesus? This is what intrigues me. How did Jairus know to go to Jesus? Well, I think, I think um, we know that in Luke chapter 4 that um, Jesus once cast out a demon out of a man in Jairus' synagogue. That may have been a good, a good clue for him. Maybe I can go to this person. Maybe he'll help me. Perhaps, um, perhaps Jesus went there many times because Jesus did go into the synagogues to use it for a teaching of a place, and it was wonderful. The word priority that I've chosen here tells us which direction to go when problems arise. What is your priority? Jairus, when his daughter got ill, he knew where to go. I'm going to go to Jesus. What a great decision. He knew Jesus could help, so he sought him out. It is, it is nice to know where you can go for help, my dear friend, when needed, when things are needed. Jesus was his priority. Peter said to Jesus this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Listen, fathers and mothers and all here today, do you know where to go when you need help? I hope you do. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 6, 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a priority in Jesus. Seek him first. Seek him first. It was unusual for this ruler to even seek Jesus, I believe, because, you see, the Jewish leaders with whom this man worked, Jairus, they feared the scorn and the contempt of their associates for doing such a thing. But he did it anyway because he knew that Jesus could help his daughter. Someone, someone one asked, um, at one time asked Tom Landry, why he had been so successful as a football coach. Remember Tom Landry? 
We all remember him well, don't we? We're old enough. Um, He said, in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. I determined my priorities for my life. And here they are. God, family, and this football. Pretty good advice. What's your priority? Is it Jesus? Is he first? Does he mean that much to you? Would you go to him if you really needed help? Jesus Christ, your priority this morning, I hope he is. There's a second word I've chosen to describe Jairus that helps me, not only his priority, but I notice his worship. You see, in Matthew 9.18 it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came, that's Jairus, and notice, worshipped him. He worshipped him. Uh, the, other, the other writers in Mark, it says he fell at his feet. And Luke says that he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come. So we know that, that this Jairus not only had the priority of seeking Jesus for help, but he, when he met Jesus, he worshipped him. And folks, I think sometimes we get so lost in the hustle bustle of life that we really do not know how to worship Jesus, our Heavenly Father. Recognize Jesus, his deity, and his authority. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name, says Psalm 29.2. Worship the Lord. I love this. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Isn't that amazing? There is a beauty in Jesus, and we are to worship him in that beauty of holiness. Psalm 95, verse 2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Dear friends, today, have you learned to fall at Jesus' feet and worship him? I hope you have. He is worthy, he is is omnipotent, and he deserves our praise and adoration and worship. There's a third word I've chosen that describes Jairus, and that word is his prayer. He was a man of prayer. We've already kind of read it to you. Notice what he said. He, He said, my daughter has just died but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. You see, that is a prayer. That's the way you and I would do it if it happened to us, would we not? Just don't have to get real theological about it. Don't have to get real wrapped up in words. Just, Lord, i got a sick daughter. Would you come help her? In Matthew 5 it says, And he begged him earnestly, saying, My, li- my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. That was his prayer. He was a man of prayer. And in Luke, it just says, begged him to come to his house. He was a ruler, but he was not too proud to pray to Jesus even when the crowd was around him. What about you? What about me? Are you afraid to pray in public? Do you ever bow your head at prayer when you have a meal down at the restaurant? I used to work in Arizona to pay off some of our daughter Joy's medical bills when we were home on furlough and some of the workers in the uh, in the state department there were um, 
Christians, and we went to lunch, and so we gathered around, and we, I, one lady, I said, well, should we pray? She says, oh, I don't do that in public. Too bad. Too bad. Let someone know that you're a believer and that you're talking to God because you're thankful for that food. Well, what would it, what would it take for you fathers to be men of prayer? We used to fill... We used to fill part of this room right over here, not halfway, but a third maybe, with men on Friday morning, and we prayed, we prayed for this church and its ministry. I hope you are not ashamed of Jesus. Paul said this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't be afraid of Jesus. Don't be afraid to pray. Pray anywhere. Let them know that you belong to the, the wonderful King, our Savior. The early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private devotion. I just love this story. Each one of the natives reportedly had a separate spot out there in the thicket, out there in the field, or whatever you want to call it, the jungles, where he would pour out his heart to God, each one of the Christians, of course. Over time, the path to the place became well-worn. Naturally, you walk on it every day, you've got to knock down all the weeds, kind of wear out the place. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it is soon apparent to the others, and here's what they said, they would kindly remind the negligent brother or sister in Christ, brother, the grass grows on your path. Is the grass growing on your path, my path? Don't let it grow. Go to that place in prayer daily and often. Trap down those weeds and spend time with the Lord in prayer. Know what it means to pray. <clears throat> in the secret of his presence, how my soul delights to hide. Oh, how precious are the lessons which I learn at Jesus' side. Earthly cares can never vex me, neither trials lay me low. For when Satan comes to tempt me to the secret place, I go. Someone has said, and I don't know if it's true or not, we will never know until we get to glory, but someone has said, heaven is filled with a room that will surprise all of us when we see it. The room has within it large boxes neatly packaged with a lovely ribbon on top with your name on it. Never delivered to earth because never requested from earth. You didn't ask, so you didn't get the package. Oh, friends, may God help us to learn how to pray. There's another word I learned from Jairus. I just call it love, his love. You know, Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. Why do we do that? It's because, it's because we love them. Uh, parents, you can relate to this. I, I used to do artwork for my wife on flannel graph, and I made 
complete sets of flannelgraph for all of the Bible backgrounds needed for to do all the Bible lessons you ever needed for the entire Bible. And in doing this, of course, we're we're two hundred we're a hundred miles down the Amazon River from the Peruvian and the Brazilian border, and way up and we're two thousand miles from the mouth of the Amazon, way up nowhere. I would paint, and I would take. We didn't have any special stuff, so I took gasoline, of course, to clean out the brushes, pushed it right against the wall so that nothing would ever bother it until I forgot that our son knew how to climb up on a chair. And he climbed up on the table and drank the gasoline. So as he lay dying in my arms and turning blue, we did not know what to do. Six hours by the fat, but no, six hours was the only way we could get to even the nearest hospital, but you could never get there because he was dying. Fran Schlenner, the pioneer missionary over next door, she heard about it and she was crying and she went to, went to Dr. Spock's book and tore out a page and, and sent it over to her brother-in-law's where we were gathered in their kitchen and, and it says, dilute the liquid in their stomach, get it diluted somehow. Whether right or wrong, we call little Pito. His name is Philip now. He's a high-ranking official in the United States Air Force before he retired and went to Portugal as a, as a missionary now. Raleigh loved him. And Pito was the only one that could get Raleigh to do something that God ordained for him to do at that moment. Margie mixed up some thick, very chocolatey milk And Pito somehow got Raleigh to drink it even as he was dying. Well, what happened? Well, the end of the story is wonderful. He survived. He's with us. He's he's 60 years old. (laughs) But love for children cannot be measured by anything that you and I have have an index to. We, we, We love our children. And it's, uh, it's pretty important that we, that we do that because Jairus brings to us this wonderful story of love for his children. I hope that you have that too, my friend. Another word that brings to my mind this Jairus is his faith because he's already prayed, but, you know, it takes faith to pray. So in Matthew 9, he, uh, in, in Mark, Mark 5, 23, he says, Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. In other words, he had faith that if Jesus would come and do this, his daughter would be healed. What a wonderful thing. So um, later on, of course, when they told him that his daughter was dead, then Jesus spoke up and says, Do not be afraid, only believe Mark, uh, that, that's in five verse, uh, uh, Luke 8, verse 50. Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Boy, you know, faith comes in all kinds of, all kinds of packages and different degrees. The centurion, just a few chapters that we'd studied down in our senior center, I remember, the centurion, he, he had such faith that he says, Well, Jesus, you don't have to go there. If you just said the word, you can heal him that way. In other words, healing by remote control. But this Jairus wanted him to go and touch his daughter at home. 
That's okay. Your faith is different than mine. Our faiths work differently. You see it one way. I see it another way. You claim God's work in another way, and I do it another way. That's, that's okay. That's the way. It's all, it's all legitimate. Yep. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Because when you're talking about, when you're talking about the, the faith of this man, oh, how my heart yearns for men and women and boys and girls who do not know Jesus if they would just open their hearts to him and allow him to come in and be their savior so that when they died, they'd go to heaven instead of hell. Jairus believed that the touch of Jesus on his daughter would heal her. That's faith, I think. Are you willing... My friend, to trust God for something in your, in your life right now, today, that needs fixing, God is the one who can do it. Have faith in him. I find another thing about Jairus. Number six is determination. Do you get the picture by now that he might be a determined man? He, he's, deter- he's got determination. Um. The word from Jesus must have been really um, encouraging, and he didn't give up or because he says, he says, just believe and, and she will be made well. So he was determined, determined, determined. I can remember so many times in Brazil when a father or a mother would come to our mission station, and of course we lived 100 miles down the river from uh, in, the, in, the, in the Brazilian part of the river, and... Uh, They'd come and says, my daughter is so ill, please do something. And they would just, you know, they did it all the time. We spent, we spent hours trying to help people get well physically so that we could talk to them spiritually and get them saved and get them to heaven. One night this little, this little mother came and says, my, my baby's gone. He said, will you help her? So I got the antibiotics out. And I gave the little, little tyke a shot. And, you know, most kids, when you give them a shot, they do a little screaming, right? This child was so sick that there was absolutely no response of any kind. But the mother was determined that somehow these missionaries would help her precious little girl. And thank God we gave her a shot. She didn't even move, not, not wince one ounce. And the next morning I saw her and she was starting to just kind of kind of open her eyes a little bit. And the next day she was better, and she got well, and she lived to be a wonderful little teenage girl. But see, determination. Oh, how determined people must be. Our greatest, you know, Thomas Edison is a great, a great lesson on this. Thomas Edison said, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And you said, well, did he? Oh, yeah, listen to this. He says, I, am, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's great. Do you give up pretty easy? What about on spiritual things? Do you just give up with God? Just forget it. No, I hope you don't. Be determined. Give God, give God a chance 
for the problem in your life, be determined to let him do it. Well, your outline doesn't show this, but I have a point number seven. Sorry about that. You can, you can put it on the last line, which is the border around the page. I call it his, his gratitude. We don't have any. Well, we do too. We have a lot about his gratitude because, you see, when Jesus went to his home, do you remember the story? Oh, boy, listen to this. In the, uh, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the, listen, the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, yeah, that's what they did, you say, well, what is all this about? Well, here's what it's all about. You see, um, in the ancient world, paid professional mourners, most often women, aided families in their public expression of grief upon the death of a loved one. That's the way they did it. And if you were poor, you still paid because you had to have a mourner. You were mourning, of course, but you had to pay someone else to help you mourn. The compound, the, compo- the composed uh, poems or dirges praising the deceased, which they chanted to the accompaniment of a flute or other musical instrument to stir the audience emotionally and get everybody riled up that she's dead. Come on, enter into this emotion. They usually wore sackcloth and scattered dust in the air and on their heads, weeping, wailing, and beating their breasts. They created an unmistakable tone of grief. Here there was no denial of death or distancing themselves from loss. Professional mourners were hired even by the poorest families. Well, I wrote down, I said, his, uh, his gratitude. Well, what was his gratitude? Well, listen to this. Listen to Luke eight fifty six. And her parents were astonished. Now, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And then in Mark, in Mark chapter 5, verse 42, and they were overcome with great amazement. Do you know what that is? That means astonishment. And they were overcome with happiness and gratitude for what Jesus had done. And sometimes, dear people, we come to God with heavy hearts and we ask him to do something and he does it. And we're not even grateful for what he, how he's answered our prayer. That should not be part of the equation ever. You know, how grateful are you, my friend? A, missionary, uh, a pastor by the name of, of Jack Hinton took a little missionary trip, short term. And he attended a worship service at a leper colony on the island of Tobago. A woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around, and of course he was on the platform, and she turned around, and he saw her face, and he said, he said, it's the most hideous face I ever laid eyes on, because she The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked the evangelist, can we sing, count your many blessings? He was overtaken with such emotions that he had to leave the building. 
He left the service. He was followed by a team member who said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again, will you? Yes, I will, he said, but I'll never sing it the same way. Count your many blessings. Are we grateful to God for all he's done, my friend? Hope we are. Let's bow in prayer. Do you think there's something that Jairus has taught you today that you would just say, I want to I do better than that? Would you just raise your hand with mine and just say, I want to be better than that? That's all you're saying. I just want to do better. Thank God. Lord Jesus, speak to hearts today. And pray for people who do not know Jesus that they may come to you in salvation. And we give this opportunity right now, Lord. Let that man, woman, boy, or girl listening who has fought you for years and never given his or her life to Jesus, would they right now just say, oh, I'm willing to do it. Please, please, my friend, don't go away without Jesus. Speak to our hearts, we pray, and help us to make the right decision according to what we've heard today from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.